Thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Church. It's really, really good to be with you today. Great to be with those of you watching at home as well. Really good to have you with us. Uh, wasn't it great to welcome in all those new members of our church family earlier? Such a good time. God is really on the move in this church. It's so exciting. Um, and I'm going to start today with a purpose. No, I'm not. I'm going to start today with a question. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm going to start with a question. And the question is this. What does it mean for you to live a life of purpose? What does it mean for you to live a life of purpose? Or maybe that's too grand a question. What does it mean for you to live a day purposefully? What needs to to have happened for you to be able to think at the end of a day, actually, I lived today really well. I spent the time today well. The average life expectancy in this this country is roughly 29,000 days. 29,000 days. Some of you are thinking, well, that's ages. Others of you are perhaps counting up how many you've had. But 29,000 days. How do we live these days well? How do we decide what our priorities are? How do we decide what to say yes to and what to say no to? As we've heard, we're continuing through Luke's gospel this morning. We're in chapter 10, and there's a shift in theme around this stage of Luke's gospel. See, the first nine chapters of Luke's gospel are mainly concerned with the question, who is Jesus? But then from this point, the second half of chapter 9 into chapter 10 and the chapters that follow, the question becomes, well, okay, if Jesus is the Son of God, if he is this eternal king, then what does that mean for us? How should I live in response? And Jesus is on the road with his disciples, training them what it means to be one of his followers. And what we see straight away is that as followers of Jesus, we are all sent. We're a sent people. In the previous chapter, Jesus had sent out the 12. And we know a bit about the 12, don't we? We know their names, we know a little bit about their character. But if you stop there, you could get the impression that making disciples is just for a small group of Jesus' followers. But now Jesus appoints this wider group, the 72, and he sends them ahead of him into every town and place that he's about to go into. And notice this, they are unnamed. They're unnamed disciples. And I love that. They're just ordinary people being changed by Jesus to change the world. To be a disciple is to be sent And of course, that should radically change the way we see church. Because we talk, don't we, about going to church. You might have even said today that you're going to go to church or you're going to watch church. But actually, this makes church seem like it's a location or an organization. Instead, we are the church. And these times we have together on Sunday mornings, gathering together, are hugely important. They're family times, times when we celebrate, times of being challenged and encouraged but ultimately there to equip us to go out there to live this stuff out in the context of our everyday lives. God calls us to come. He calls us to come and soak in his presence and to be filled. And then he calls us to go, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, to be carriers of the kingdom into the world around us. Now this passage in Luke 10 is often used to prepare and train people for overseas mission. And for some of you, perhaps that's the call. It may be that God is calling you to a different place, to go and share the gospel with people in a different nation, or perhaps to another part of this nation. We are blessed to have brothers and sisters from this church who follow Jesus' call to other places, and praise God when that happens. But to others, perhaps to the majority of us here today, Jesus sends us into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our family, and into our friendship groups. 
to the people that God has already placed in our lives to proclaim with our words and our actions that the kingdom of God has come. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are sent. He has called you to join with him in the great priority of making disciples who make disciples. And of course, what that looks like will be different for all of us. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want you to think about your own context, whatever that looks like. Think about the people that God has placed in your life. And if you're not a Christian, then I hope this will give you just a glimpse of the adventure of following Jesus, an adventure that is far greater and far more exciting than any ideas that we could have for our own lives. So as I've reflected on this passage, there are three things, I've been drawn to three things particularly that I believe God wants to highlight to all of us today about the way that we're sent. And the first is this, that we're sent with purpose. We're sent with purpose. And you can see this in the way Jesus sends out the 72. You can see there's a focus to the purpose that he's given them. He says to them in verse 4, Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Or in the message version, it says, Travel light, comb and toothbrush, and no extra luggage. Don't loiter and make small talk with everyone you meet along the way. Now, why would Jesus say this? Well, greetings in that culture were lengthy and time-consuming. And Jesus is saying, look, the harvest is plentiful. It's ready. And when a harvest is ready, you act quickly to reap it. People are ready to hear this message. And so go and avoid anything that will distract you from the purpose that I've given you. I wonder what things have the potential to distract you from the purpose that Jesus has called you to. I wonder if one of the things about what we've faced in these last two years is the potential it has to to distract us. Announcements and updates almost daily. News headlines. Daily figures. We don't have unlimited capacity. We can't focus on lots of things at the same time, or at least I can't. And the potential it has to polarise views and cause disunity amongst us. I know that even amongst us in this room, there are vast differences in opinions about all kinds of things to do with this pandemic. And you know, the enemy would love us to be so caught up in all of this that we forget the mission that he's called his church to. As disciples of Jesus, his purpose becomes our purpose. Jesus sends us out to make disciples who make disciples in whatever context we're in. He says, doesn't he, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So we're to pray. We're called to pray for the church, to pray for more disciple makers, and then to be the answer to our own prayers, to go and share the gospel, to go and share the gospel with those around us. And at that point, some of you are thinking, oh no, evangelism. See, if you're anything like me, That very word, evangelism, will bring you out in a cold sweat. Maybe like me, what comes to mind is all those times when you've tried and you've failed. Moments when you could have said something differently or done something differently, but you bottled it. See, we can often think of evangelism as trying to persuade people who don't want to be persuaded, to convince people who don't want to be convinced, or to try and sell something to people who just don't want what we have to sell. I remember years ago when I was looking for a job, I saw a roll in the paper for a charity advertising trainee. And so I went to a day's training with them. When I got there, it quickly became apparent this was about going around from street to street and knocking on people's doors and asking them to give money to charity. 
And so I spent the day doing this, and I was dreadful at it, and it was, and it was hugely demoralizing, because I was trying to persuade people to do something they didn't want to do. And we can see evangelism in the same way, can't we? That we're trying to sell something to people who are not interested. And so we can have this fear and this guilt about it. But what if this isn't what Jesus is asking us to do? See, look at Jesus' strategy in this passage. He says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. If someone who promotes peace is there, or in the ESV, a son of peace, or a person of peace. See, as he sends out his disciples, Jesus says their purpose is to look for these people of peace. What does that mean? Well, it means there's an openness, there's an openness to you, an openness to hearing your story, to the gospel, that they welcome you. Not that there's been a step of commitment yet, but that God is already at work in some way in this person's life, opening and softening their heart to the message that you're going to bring. Do you believe this, that there are, there are people among your friends and in your workplace and in your family who God is already at work in? Jesus says this, doesn't he? In, in John's Gospel, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And there's a place for debate and apologetics. Of course there is. And some people are very gifted in this, and praise God for those people. And of course, there are some people in our families and our friendship groups that we'll never give up on praying for, no matter how distant from God they seem, because these people mean so much to us, and that is right. But what if we saw our purpose as to look for those people that God is already drawing to his son? No one can come unless the Father draws them. This is what partnership with the Holy Spirit looks like. So how do we find these people of peace? Well, actually, Bless is a great model for this. So back in 2019, we started Bless as a church. If you've joined us since then, it's about five simple steps that we can all take to make Jesus' purpose our own purpose. And if this is new today and you're here with us in the room and it's all very new to you, there are blessed booklets at the back and around the building today. I'd encourage you to take one of these. It's so equipping this and it's so simple. Let me just remind you what Bless is all about. There are five steps to this. The B stands for begin with prayer. That we commit to praying for the people that God has placed in our lives. That we pray for an openness in their hearts. And we pray for opportunities to talk with them. The L is listen. That we take time to deliberately listen to these people. That we listen to their hurts, their struggles, to what they're celebrating and to what is hard in their lives. And also that we listen to God for these people. What does God want to say to them? The E is eat together. That actually one of the best ways to move a relationship to a friendship is to have a meal or grab a coffee together. The first S is serve. That as we listen, we look for ways to serve people, whether that's practically or whether it's supernaturally, perhaps by praying for healing. And the final S is share our story. That if we're praying for people, if we're listening to them, if we're eating with them and serving with them, serving them, sorry, then the opportunity will come for us to share our story, to talk with them about what Jesus has done in our lives. And what I love about Bless is it's all about investing in relationship. And actually, this is what you see when Jesus sends out the 72. He says, when you find the person of peace, when you find that person who welcomes you, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. There's an investment of time. And you know, there's also a vulnerability in this. The disciples carried nothing with them, so they were entirely dependent on the kindness and the generosity of the people that they stayed with. 
And of course, that changes the nature of the relationship. See, if I make friends with someone outside the church thinking that I have all the answers, thinking that I have everything that this person needs, then what does that do to the relationship? It's very one way. But what if I'm vulnerable too? What if I'm honest about my own struggles? What if my approach is, well, I don't have it all together, but I do know Jesus, and this is what he has done in my life. And you know, some people we talk with about Jesus won't be interested, but that is okay. We're not trying to sell them anything. But sooner or later, we'll find those people the Father is already drawing to himself. We're to go and look for these people of peace. If it helps, think of it as a massive game of hide-and-seek. We used to play this with our kids when they were very, very young and they were dreadful at it. I think they thought that if they couldn't see us, we couldn't see them. So what they did was they they would stand with their hands over their eyes and they'd stand behind the narrowest tree, but you could see them. There'd be kind of arm here and a leg sticking out this side. Very, very obvious. There are people out there who want to be found. Maybe they don't know it yet. But there's an openness there because God is already at work in their lives. Our purpose is to find these people and to invest there. We're sent with purpose. Secondly, we're sent with authority. There's a lovely moment in this passage that Nicola read where the disciples seem almost surprised at the authority that they've been given. In verse 17 it says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. I believe that Jesus wants us as his disciples to know and to understand the authority he has given us. And sometimes actually it's only when we step out and do these things that we realize the authority we have. We had a great example of this from our church family a few weeks ago. It's a story from Charlie about her son, Hamish. I think it's really worth hearing again. So we're going to watch this short video together now. A few weeks ago, my family and I were about to leave for church when Hamish, my nine-year-old son, suddenly felt very ill and started to be sick. So Neil, my husband, took our other two girls to church and I stayed at home with Hamish. He was in a lot of pain and was being constantly sick, so much so that I thought I might need to call the doctor. At our training in Supernatural Ministry small group the previous Thursday, we'd been learning about taking authority over sickness when praying for healing. And I started to feel really annoyed at this sickness that was stopping us from being at church and doing the other things that we had planned as a family that day. So I said to Hamish, let's pray that you'll get better now. So I prayed, I took authority over the sickness and I prayed for healing in Jesus name. But Hamish was still feeling so ill and still being sick. So then I felt this would be a good opportunity to teach Hamish to do the same. And I know that at King's Kids, Claire and Ben always get the children to pray for each other. So I taught him to take authority in the name of Jesus and to pray for his healing as well. And he did that and he took authority over the sickness. But again, nothing happened except that Hamish was still in pain and he was still being sick. I left him to rest for a while and 10 minutes later, I heard him yelling from upstairs and I thought, oh no, more sick. I'm definitely going to have to call a doctor now. But he came racing downstairs and he announced, I've been praying a bit more, mummy, and Jesus has healed me. The pain is gone. I'm not sick. I need to eat now. And I was 
not so full of faith, but I said, are you sure? Are you definitely better? And he just kept repeating, yes, I'm sure. Jesus has definitely healed me and I'm hungry. So a roast dinner and a large amount of sweets later, we were convinced that he really was healed. He didn't have a single pain after that. And he was so amazed by how Jesus had healed him that the next evening when a friend of ours texted to say that her daughter was ill with COVID, he immediately got us all to pray that she would be healed just like he had been. It's a great story, isn't it? I love that story. And I love a few things about that. One, of the, one thing is just how ordinary it is. See, Charlie didn't feel full of faith, but she took that opportunity to train Hamish. And I love Hamish's excitement of the authority he had and how as he, as he stepped out and did it, he wanted to pray again. Do we understand, church, the authority we have as followers of Jesus? What does it mean, this word authority? Put simply, it's the right to rule. And as, as the king of kings, this is the authority that Jesus has. The prophet Daniel had a vision of Jesus. He writes this in Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That is King Jesus. He has authority and glory and sovereign power. And you know, we've seen that already in Luke's gospel, as Jesus heals the sick, as he calms the storm, as he heals a paralyzed man, as he raises a girl from the dead, as he feeds the 5,000. These are not just acts of kindness. They are signs that point to the utter authority of Jesus. Sickness retreats under the authority of Jesus. Storms stop under the authority of Jesus. Demons flee under the authority of Jesus. Darkness backs off and death loses its sting and the enemy cowers under the authority of Jesus. And you know, because of his power, Jesus has total authority over the mission of his church, and it cannot fail. Do you believe that? That Jesus has not sent us out to fail. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is sovereign, and nothing will ultimately stop the mission of his church. And as his followers, we carry that authority with us into the world around us. We might feel that as we go out of this place... And into the week that we are ill-equipped and ordinary. We might have conversations with people where we just feel like we don't have all the answers and so we back off. Or we think about praying for healing but we feel we just don't have the right words to do it. When Jesus' purpose becomes our purpose, he gives us everything we need. The authority of Jesus is enough. I love that story in Acts 3 where Peter and John go out and they're full of the Holy Spirit and they meet a man who's been lame from birth. And when he sees them coming, he asks them for money. But it says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helps him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. This man who's never walked before in his life now because of the authority of Jesus walks. 
What did these disciples have? They had nothing but the authority and the power of Jesus. And they saw this man's deeper need and they spoke in Jesus' name. See, Jesus isn't looking for people with the best one-liners and the slickest gospel presentations. He is simply looking for obedient followers who will go under his authority in the power of the Holy Spirit to carry the kingdom into the world around us. And Jesus says to you, nothing will harm you. And that's not a promise of complete immunity. It's not a promise that we won't ever get hurt or knocked or battered, that things won't be hard. But it is an assurance that the enemy can do you no final harm, that the powers of darkness will never have the final word. We're sent with authority. And lastly, we are sent as sons and daughters. As Jesus' disciples come back from this mission trip, you can almost hear their excitement. Jesus, it worked. We healed the sick. We prayed for this guy's leg and it got better. We told people about you and they believed us. Even the demons submitted to us. We're good at this. And Jesus says, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What is Jesus doing here? Is he just putting a great dampener on things? Is Jesus just some great killjoy? No, Jesus wants his disciples to succeed. But what he's saying is this. Don't let your view of the success of your mission determine your level of joy. Don't let that be the thing that you rejoice over. Because we all know, don't we, that what life can be like. One day we can feel like we're purposeful and confident in who we are. We serve people well. We love people well. We see answers to prayer. We feel like we're full of authority and power. But then the next day we can feel like we're total failures. We say the wrong thing and get rejected. We... Text a friend asking if we can pray for them and we're just left with an awkward silence where we wonder how it's landed. Or we pray for healing full of faith and nothing happens. Jesus says, don't rejoice in the authority you've been given. Rejoice in the grace that you've been shown. So you might have a ministry that is wonderfully fruitful. As you step out, you might see hundreds or thousands of people come to know Jesus through you. Or you might be investing in the same person day after day, pouring everything you have into this person, serving them, loving them, praying for them, and seeing little sign of change. Do you know what? None of that changes how the Father sees you. None of that changes how the Father sees you. There's a far more precious gift than the authority he's given you, and that's this, that your name is written in heaven. Your name is written in heaven. Imagine you decide to go to your favourite restaurant. But when you get there, there's this massive queue outside. There's a queue that is so big that you could wait for days and never get in. But then the owner of the restaurant walks past this line of people and he walks directly up to you and he puts his arm around your shoulder and he leads you past all these people, this great queue of people, and into the restaurant and seats you at the best seat in the house. And you think, what is going on? And he says, your name is written in the book. Your name is in the book. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's because before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Before you were formed, he knew you. Before you'd done anything for him, he loved you and he wrote your name into the book of life. And no earthly success or failure will ever change that. Your name cannot be erased. And so Jesus says to you, don't be as thrilled by what you do for him as you are by what he has done for you. How can we go out of here living lives with purpose and authority and joy only because of Jesus? Only because Jesus was totally committed to his purpose. 
See, as Jesus trained his disciples on the road, he knew that this road would lead him to the cross. It says of Jesus that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and nothing would distract him from the purpose that he was given. And there, at the cross, out of love, he completed perfectly the purpose that he was sent for. The King of Kings went to the cross for you. And through his death and resurrection, he demolished the powers of darkness. And you know, now Jesus rejoices as the Father reveals these truths to his children. He rejoices as the Father reveals these things to you and me. Blessed are the eyes that see what we see. So what does it look like to live lives of purpose as followers of Jesus? Where well, it's to come and soak in his presence, to enjoy him and be filled with his spirit. And then it's to go with his purposes to his harvest field with his authority as his sons and daughters. Amen? Amen. Jump.